everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I am your host for today, and today I'm going to be talking to Mr. James McNicholas. James has been covering Arsenal for The Athletic this season. He's been doing an excellent job making sense of what has been a fairly illogical campaign thus far. Uh, We spoke Friday morning, that would be today, if you're listening right now, uh, with Mikel Arteta still not yet unveiled as the new Arsenal manager, but given that it feels like it's only a matter of time, we went ahead and discussed the process of actually acquiring Arteta, what he will be like as a manager, what his style might be, and then what his big obstacles will be with this Arsenal squad right away, what it's going to look like to see his sort of influence coming into this team. Uh, We also get into the backroom issues that have played a significant part in Arsenal's present status. Uh, There's some Mesut Ozil v. China conversation near the end as well, so be sure to listen from start to finish. Uh, I guess doing it the opposite direction would be impressive, but definitely unnecessary. So let's just go ahead and start from the beginning and say, with me on the line to help me make sense of all things Arsenal is Mr. James McNicholas of The Athletic. James, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So it's uh, early morning East Coast, uh, I guess a little bit, what, like early afternoon at your time. You're still waiting to figure out exactly Mm -hmm. when Arsenal are going to make things official, but we do think things are going to be official, right? Yes, absolutely. Everything seems to be in place. Uh, I understand Mikel Arteta's been at the Arsenal training ground at London Colney this morning. Uh, it's just a question of when they make that announcement. But, uh, you know, it's it's been a protracted period this week where they've done this deal. Uh, everything was agreed with Mikel Arteta a couple of days ago, but they've had to hammer things out with Manchester City. Uh, it seems we're very, very nearly there and we are on the precipice of Arsenal having a new manager. And would that be with Man City hammering it out? Is that just sort of like finding a way to release him from his contract? Is there a compensation they have to pay? Yeah, Manchester City uh, believe they're due, I think, more than a million pounds worth of compensation. Uh, right. Yeah, uh, which, you know, is unusual in employment law, but they clearly have put something in there to protect them against this scenario. Uh, it's not an amount that intimidates Arsenal. Uh, it's just been a bit of an odd period because Arsenal and Arteta have been talking. Arteta's been talking to Man City and making sure they're aware of the discussions he's been having. Pep Guardiola has been kept abreast of every development in this story. But there hasn't been much contact necessarily between Arsenal and Man City. And Manchester City certainly seem unhappy with the way Arsenal have have gone about business uh, in this negotiation. Is that justified in your view at all? Obviously, there's a little bit of bias there. But to me, it seems like they're going after an assistant manager who they have a connection with, who they want to be their manager. That seems fairly logical. Is this just Man City sort of slowing things up because they want to keep their assistant manager around? Yeah, I think they do want to keep him. I think that he's someone, you know, if you hear the noises coming out of the Manchester City cap, he was incredibly highly regarded by players and by staff there. And I think there is a bit of disappointment there. I mean, how often do Man City not get the outcome that they want? Probably not that frequently, especially when it comes to negotiations, contracts. You know, they've basically ruled English football over the last few years. So... I think that there'll be be a lot of disappointment there. I think Pep will be disappointed to lose his right-hand man. But, you know, he's someone who always has multiple assistants uh, and I'm sure they're going to promote internally uh, and make up for Arteta's absence there. But, you know, Arsenal are doing what they need to do and they were so close to appointing Arteta, what was it, 18 months or so ago when Arsene Wenger left. He was so, so close to getting the job at that point. Uh, There was a late change of heart, a late change of mind and things swung towards Unai Emery. That caught a lot of people by surprise. Uh, And so Arteta will finally, it seems, take the job that he thought he was destined for 18 months ago. And from what you understand, why did things swing at the very last minute? Why did they go from er, from Arteta to Emery and now back to Arteta? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the the recruitment committee at that time was made up of uh, the chief executive, Ivan Gazidis, who uh, had worked with MLS, of course, in the past. He's no longer at the club. He's with AC Milan. Uh, Raul Senyehi was already on board. Uh, and then Sven Mislintat as well was a big part of that. There were also roles, I think, in the committee for people like Jason Rosenfeld from Stats DNA and Hosfami, who's Arsenal's contract negotiator. But... Arteta was always a front runner, partly because he had an outstanding personal relationship with Ivan Gazidis uh, and consequently was a bit of a favourite for him. But the truth is that Emery just really impressed in the interview process. He wasn't on the initial shortlist, but once his situation at PSG became public knowledge and it became clear he was going to be leaving there, uh, conversations between his representatives and Arsenal took place. He came into that interview process and he did really impress them. And crucially, he had a CV that showed that he could qualify for the Champions League. He'd done it consecutively with Valencia three years in a row. He'd won three Europa Leagues in a row with Sevilla. Uh, and he, he also had experience and he had a staff that he thought he could bring with him. And that was a massive factor as well because, you know, he was a, he was a ready-made product. And Arteta, it was felt at that time, simply represented too big a gamble, too big a risk. He's now had, you know, another season and a half's worth of experience working with Guardiola, thinking about his own management style, his own management career. And I think there's a little bit of, of, of a point maybe where Arsenal almost don't have much to lose. You know, they're kind of 10th in the league. Their season has gone up in smoke already. I think this is the time really for them to gamble. And Arteta is a gamble, but based on what everybody who's worked with him says about him, it's one that has some merit. So let's stick with Arteta. Then I want to talk a little bit about some of the decisions that happened behind the scenes. But uh, yeah. with Arteta, uh, you wrote for The Athletic, if Arsenal are about to appoint someone lacking in experience, they must at very least surround them with expertise. Uh, in mm-hmm. your mind, what does that expertise look like? It's a really good question. I mean, look, the noises that we're hearing coming out of Arsenal are that Arteta really does want to surround himself with good, experienced coaches. And we're not talking about one assistant here. We could be talking about multiple assistants. You know, if you look at Pep Guardiola's staff until Arteta left, technically he had three assistant managers. And I think Arteta might be looking to replicate something like that himself. Uh, There's some talk about... Uh, a coach called Steve Round, who worked with Arteta at Everton, uh, who later went on to Manchester United with David Moyes. His name is in the mix for to be one of the assistants. Uh, other people that Arteta knows from his background in Spain, uh, even in Scotland, I've heard some names linked. So people that have coached Arteta before that he found uh, inspiring or effective are all on that shortlist. And Arsenal, I think might want to assemble that staff very, very quickly. Because the obvious question, if you appoint someone as young and as inexperienced as Arteta, is what are you going to do to support him? Freddie Eumberg has been the caretaker coach for, uh, what is it, two or three weeks now, about five or six games. And he has not had a staff. He's, you know, a guy in his first head coach position without a staff around him. He's had Perma Tsak, who's the academy manager in there. They've had Sal Bebo, who's a goalkeeper coach who works with the under-23s as well as the senior team. That's about it. And I think that's been quite unfair of Freddie. He's been asked to do a job without necessarily the, the support network you want to see around him. I think Arsenal are keen, in Arteta's case, to make sure that Ideally, I think they'd like to announce it all at the same time. If they can't get all that in place, then they want to announce it pretty soon after he's appointed. And and you can understand that. And he'll be insistent on that. You know, he's someone who thinks very, very carefully about what he does in his career. And he'll have had 18 months, like we say, to consider who would my staff be? And I'm sure some of those people, when the phone calls have arrived in the last few days, probably knew they were coming. 
And what do you think happens uh, with Yunberg? Does he go back to coaching like U23s, the academy, or will he stay on as an assistant or go elsewhere entirely? I don't think the under-23s is an option for him because he and Steve Bold swapped jobs in the summer. And Steve Bold, I think, really enjoys that under-23 role. And I think he wants to stay in that. And I can't see that changing because Arteta and Steve Bold have a relationship from when he was a player at the club. Uh, As for Freddie, I mean, he could be in some trouble here. A lot of it depends on if Mikel Arteta is willing to work with him. But for Freddie, it's a difficult one. He's you know a good few years younger than Arteta, and there may be question marks. It's one thing learning from an experienced coach like uh, Unai Emery, mm-hmm. but to be under a guy who's younger than you and sort of just as inexperienced, I'm not sure how he'll feel about that. It's interesting. There are stories breaking in the Swedish press now that Malmo uh, might want to speak to Jumberg about the head coach vacancy there. I do wonder if he might use this little spell in charge of Arsenal as a bit of a, a jumping off point, really, to go and be head coach of his own team and gain some experience doing that. I think that that makes more sense maybe for him than staying under Arteta because, you know, what sort of succession plan is there realistically going to be? Uh, I, I, I worry for him a little bit that he might get pushed out, but I don't think in terms of his career, it would necessarily be the worst thing. So we'll add what happens to Yunberg to the list of things we're not entirely sure about at this hour, but hopefully we'll know some more uh, over the next couple yeah, of days. Exactly. I mean, you're exactly right. It's one of those that's very difficult to call. And Yunberg's comments about publicly demanding staff, uh, you know, I think that's going to maybe not endear him massively to the board. And, you know, he, he was kind of the chosen one under Unai Emery and the obvious anointed uh, interim manager if Emery went. But I don't know if relations are quite as good right now. And and is that like, that seems a bit harsh on Yunberg, not what you're saying, but on like the reaction from the Arsenal board mm-hmm. of like him being like, hey, I could use some assistance here. Like like <laughs> literally I could use some assistance. That would be nice. And And for that to be like, oh, how dare he question Arsenal? That seems a bit harsh. Yeah, I mean, I think if that's if that's how they feel, that would be harsh. And okay. I think Jumberg's really stepped into a, uh, a a really difficult job at a really difficult time. And Arsenal kind of hoped they'd get that new manager bounce. They haven't really had that at all. Uh, and, you know, I don't think it's done any damage, great damage to Jumberg. Certainly it's not his relationship with the fans who still hold him in very high regard. But, yeah, I think uh, I think a change of scene is p- probably the likeliest outcome for him right now. Hey, folks, Taylor jumping in real fast. Much more still to come from my conversation with James McNicholas. But I wanted to let you know that today's episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. Audible Originals are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. Uh, Audible seeks to keep you informed, inspired, and entertained. Uh, For purposes of today's conversation, as we're talking about uh, a Premier League giant and how they've kind of had their ups downs, what comes next for them. Uh, I found myself inclined to check out The Club, how the English Premier League became the wildest, richest, most disruptive force in sports by Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clegg. A um, couple captivating things about this one. It has me wanting to listen. Uh, first of all, it's got a little like jacket cover description of a rollicking tale, part Great Expectations, part Game of Thrones. Okay, that appeals. Then in the description, the publisher summary, this is a sports and business tale of how money, ambition, and 25 years of drama remade an ancient institution into a 21st century entertainment empire. That appeals. 
That appeals to me because I want to know about how the Premier League got to where it is today and maybe hopefully how it plans to stay there. I'm going to assume it involves clubs like Arsenal appointing people like Mikel Arteta to take them forward as opposed to, say, backward. But it's worth remembering you can find that audiobook and many, many others. Uh, Michael Cox's great book Zonal Marking is on there. Grant Wall's Masters of Modern Soccer. Many soccer options for you to check out. And you can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial right now. Choose one audiobook, two Audible originals, absolutely free. Visit uh, audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. One more time, you can visit audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. Thank you very much to Audible for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Now back to my conversation with James McNicholas of The Athletic. And so with Mikel Arteta coming in, is the expectation that he is sort of steeped in the Pep Guardiola school? Would you expect him to implement uh, a lot of possession, a lot of quick passing, a lot of pressing, that level of intensity that Guardiola has? Or has he taken a different spin to things? No, I think you would expect to see that. And I would have said that even before he worked with Pep. Actually, mm. in, in an Arsenal with interview in, I think it was 2015, he was asked, you know, if you were a manager, what would your style be like? And it was straight out of the Guardiola handbook, really. You know, it was possession-based, an emphasis on attacking, an emphasis on entertaining. But one of the interesting things is, you know, the biggest problem at Arsenal, arguably, is the defence, right? Everybody can see this team can't defend whatsoever. And something that's been really interesting for me in the last couple of days is talking to people who know Man City well and who know the coaching set up there is that he has actually been quite instrumental in that process for them. So he worked with company quite closely. He worked with Fabian Delph when he converted from being a midfielder to a fullback. And that's something that's of particular interest to Arsenal fans because well, they haven't got a left back right now with Kieran Tierney having undergone a shoulder operation and said Kalasnach out for the next six weeks or so. Somebody, probably Maitland-Niles or Bukayo Saka, is going to have to learn their trade and become a left back. So Arteta could be involved in that sort of thing straight away. So I think while you know he clearly is in the Guardiola mould, he's someone who who has a big focus on the individual. He's worked with Raheem Sterling a lot on his movement and his finishing and also has one eye on the defensive side too. So I think everybody who works with him says this is a fantastic coach. This is a guy who understands the game in great detail. He's a student of the game. He's really intense. He's really, really focused. The question is, is he a great coach? but also a great head coach because there are different responsibilities, different aspects of management that come with that role. You know, can he be the leader? Can he be a good man manager? Can he unite what is seemingly quite a fractured club at the moment on and off the pitch? Uh, And that's what remains to be seen. But I don't think his coaching ability at this stage is in any question. And in terms of his player evaluation abilities, do yeah. you expect him to sort of come in, look at the squad, and then say, like, I need these three players or these three types of players in January? Or are you expecting him to kind of stick with what he has through January and mm-hmm. sort of try to build with what's already there and kind of instill some confidence back in that squad? Well, Arsenal have tried to adopt a model with the technical director, with Edu, uh, with Francis Kagegao, who's kind of the, the, the head of recruitment, really, heads up the scouting network, where they're not entirely dependent on their head coach for their recruitment. And you saw that in the summer when Arsenal sold players like Mkhitaryan, Iwobi, Monreal, who, if Emery had had his choice... Those are all three guys he would have liked to keep. He picked them regularly. They were important to him tactically. But Arsenal said, we're going to move them on. There's an opportunity to do that. 
and it's financially sensible and it allows us to introduce academy players. And Emery, because he was the head coach and not the manager, he went with that. Now, Arteta will expect, you know, a similar degree of responsibility. He's the head coach. He's not the recruitment guy. But I'm sure in negotiations, from what I understand at any rate, he has asked for a seat at that table. You know, he's asked to be part of that consultation process. What I do know is that prior to making this appointment, Arsenal have already been progressing with plans for the January transfer window. They have their wish list. They have their areas of the squad they're looking to target. And I think their performance in the first half of the season has been so poor that they've been forced to do that, really. Ideally, Raul Senye is on record about this. He doesn't really like the January transfer window. He doesn't necessarily want to use it. But with results being what they have and with big question marks over the futures of certain players like Granite Xhaka and Lucas Torreira, plans have already been instigated. Plans are moving ahead. So... Yes, I don't doubt Arteta will have a role in that, but Arsenal have tried to build a structure that means even when a head coach isn't at the helm, they can still make plans and move forward for the benefit of the club. And, and I'm, I'm assuming it's safe to say that you are an, an Arsenal fan, correct? You're not just right. I am an Arsenal okay. fan as well. Yeah, that's right. So then my question for you is like, <laughs> we're, we're starting off on a personal note or midway through we're on a personal note. Like, How happy are you with this appointment, not necessarily with Arteta, but mm. with everything going on with the club does this sort of make you feel like okay things are moving in the right direction or are there still lots of question marks for you about the way arsenal is being run so speaking as a fan i can't uh, lie i got really excited by what arsenal did in the summer i thought they did really good transfer business i thought the signing of nicola pepe was kind of a marquee deal that arsenal you know didn't necessarily expect to be able to do uh, josh Kroenke came out in the summer and said be excited and by transfer deadline day Arsenal fans were. Now, obviously, things have not panned out well since then. And actually, a lot of those deals Arsenal did, such as signing David Luiz and even Danny Ceballos, to a certain extent, haven't really borne much fruit. They've been uh, a, a bit of a disaster, in truth. So... That has been an issue. I think also I was concerned at how long Arsenal waited before pulling the trigger on Unai Emery. I know they're not a club with a great tradition of uh, of sacking managers, certainly not in the recent past. But, you know, I think it was clear the game was up for Emery quite a few weeks before he went. I remember that Leicester game just before the international break. They were comfortably beaten and he stayed on a few weeks after that. And I don't really see why. Uh, I don't really understand why they pursued that. And also with Arteta... Could they have done this quicker? You know, we've, they've undertaken a process. They've spoken to a number of candidates. But Arteta got to the final stage of the interviews in 2018. If he was such a strong candidate then, you do feel like they could have progressed slightly faster. So my concern with Arsenal is that they're just a bit slow to react. You know, they were slow to sack Emery. They've been slow to appoint a new manager. Uh, and that troubles me because that speaks to maybe a, a, a lack of kind of executive forthrightness in the boardroom, which is what we need, really, if we're to get ourselves out of this mess. Uh, I did love you had you had a solid burn uh, in your article from, I think, this past weekend. You stressed that things seem to move slowly at Arsenal, even when Mesut Ozil is substituted. That was well done. <laughs> um, that was a solid joke. But like, why do you think it is that things tend to move so slowly? Is it that there are so many people behind the scenes making decisions, or is it just sort of the nature of Arsenal as they are? It's a really good question. I think originally I thought it was basically just uh, the distance that existed between KFC, K- KFC, KFC, <laughs> who own Arsenal. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's Americans. Uh, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah, it was close enough, right? Uh, yeah. Um, Colonel Cronky. I, I don't know. But he, I, I, no, I, I did think that that was the issue. You know, is it the case that the Arsenal executives in London are running the club efficiently and making recommendations? But just because of, you know, the, the distance that's there, that that was slowing things down. But the truth 
truth is that Josh Conkey's been really involved with Arsenal this year. He's attended plenty of games. He was at the Manchester City game on Sunday. I think he even went out to see them play in Vitoria in like a dead rubber Europa League game that nobody cared about. I mean, he, he has been very present at Arsenal since the summer. Uh, and I think that's a positive thing. So I don't think that's the issue. I think Arsenal feel that they just do their due diligence. You know, they didn't want to rush into this. Now, I also think they didn't want to be speaking to candidates expressly while Uno Emery was still in charge. That slows things down. If you look at Spurs, you know, they sacked Pochettino and within 12 hours, uh, they then had, uh, you know, Mourinho at the helm. And that clearly indicates to me, at least, that discussions had taken place with Mourinho uh, going on before that. And I think The Athletic reported as much that they've been talking for a couple of weeks. I don't think Arsenal were that prepared. And I think when they let Emery go, they kind of had to start from zero. And that slowed things down. And Arteta hasn't been the only candidate. It's important to say that too. Other people, Patrick Vieira is someone who was, uh, you know, involved in these discussions, involved in this process, definitely uh, a contender for the job and someone who they kind of kept on the back burner, I think, almost as a second choice. Ultimately, they've gone for Arteta and maybe they had to wait until the Man City game was out of the way. Maybe that was an agreement that they had with him that they would let that fixture go and then accelerate things. But uh, listen, if he, if he proves to be the good manager in the long term, the right guy, I'm sure Arsenal fans will forgive this few weeks, but it is difficult to not look at the league table and think, you know, what might this have cost us in terms of points? So we shall see what happens going forward. I want to go back a, a little bit, if you don't mind, to you talked about like Unai Emery coming in, impressing in that interview, earning himself mm. the job in that time period. I think about uh, Sanyehi, which, by the way, I think you were the first person to actually like pronounce that name. I was like, like I've always thought it was just Sanlehi with the one L. And looking at it last night, I was right. like, oh, there's a double L there. And here you come yeah, in with yeah. your Sanyehi. Well done, sir. Um, I've but got Sanye- Spanish cousin. What can I say? <laughs> there we go. Um, Sanyehi comes in from Barcelona, head of football relations. Sven Mislintad is there. Uh, from Dortmund to lead recruitment. You've got Emery coming in to sort of just coach the players that they're bringing in. I was totally on board for that. Again, not as an Arsenal fan, but just that seemed like, oh, they've got these two people who've done really, really well. They've got this coach who's done really, really well. It seems like it's all going to go perfectly. And yet very quickly, there's a falling out. Meslintat leaves. What was sort of the background of how that sort of started to fall apart a little bit? The background there is that when Arsene Wenger was on his way out of the club, Ivan Gazidis, who was the chief executive at the time, wanted to assemble a team of people, really, who were specialists in different areas. Uh, and Raul Sanye was brought in as a kind of uh, liaison figure, you know, someone who had great connections in football in Europe, particularly with agents. Uh, and Sven was brought in to be the talent guy, the recruitment guy. The, the issue happened was... Basically, Gazidis effectively promised Mislintat that he would, after Arsene Wenger left, assume a role as technical director. That was the title that Sven Mislintat wanted. It was the next step in his career, and it was one of the most attractive things for him about coming to Arsenal. He wanted to control the technical side of the club. Now, when Ivan Gazidis left, it was Raul who stepped up to replace him, and he did not share that vision. He was happy to keep Sven on as a head of scouting, but he did not see him being the guy who was the link between the academy and the first team, who was involved in the hiring and firing of the head coach. That was not the role that Raul wanted Sven in. And that was essentially the basis of the, I'm not going to say fallout, but the difference of opinion that led to Sven deciding to go. And I think it's a real shame because, you know, Edu's come in and he's a very impressive guy and he is uh, good in that linking role. But what he doesn't have and what Sven had that makes him special and made him unique is that remarkable 
eye for talent. And it's not purely his eye. It is based upon very uh, successful statistical formula that he owns. You know, he's got a private company that owns uh, this kind of data analysis system. Uh, and he, he took that with him. You know, it's something that he brought in with him and he took away with him. And that was another thing. Arsenal felt a bit uncomfortable uh, with a situation where Sven wasn't maybe sharing all his knowledge with the group. He was kind of acting under his own uh, responsibilities, you know. So they've tried now, post Sven, to build a system that there is their own. Uh, that they can own in future, regardless of personnel. Uh, and it's a, it's an interesting one. But I mean, when you look at who Sven brought into the club, there's some hits and some misses. I mean, his connections with Dortmund enabled them to sign Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang and Socrates. You'd have to say of those, only Aubameyang's really been a success. But then mm. where Sven was great, and where he is great was in identifying younger talent. So, you know, think of somebody like Matteo Guendouzi, who barely anybody had heard of. And within a few months, he's in Arsenal's first team. I think Lucas Torreira, although he's had a difficult time in the last 12 months or so, I think everybody recognises he's a talented player. Uh, Bernd Leno, who was very few people's first choice to be the yeah, Arsenal number yeah. one. Yeah, has been outstanding this season and had to be because of the diabolical defending. So it is a concern that Arsenal no longer have, uh, shall we say, that kind of scouting ability that Mislintat brought. I, I suppose what I hope as an Arsenal fan is that Edu and his links with the Brazilian market and certain key agents could open up other markets for Arsenal that could help equalise that. But yeah, certainly I was sorry to see Sven go. Hey folks, Taylor jumping in one last time, then we will get back to just pure Arsenal chat. But first, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. That's R-U-F-F-N-E-C-K scarves.com. They are the official scarf provider for U.S. soccer, for Major League Soccer, for the NCAA, and for the USL. Roughneck Scarves is committed to providing passionate soccer fans with an outstanding customer service, professional design, the highest quality soccer scarves in the world. That they are. Uh, We have gotten several different Roughneck Scarves. Some were sent to us. Some we had made our ourselves, uh, including the Total Soccer Show scarf, which I believe you can still find there and on our site. Uh, but as I said, you've got scarves for the U.S. men's and women's national teams. You've got scarves for every MLS franchise, several different ones for all the different teams. That equals lots of scarves. Uh, and they do have the custom option, as I said. Uh, they also have all-inclusive pricing, which means you're not getting any hidden fees, no unexpected shipping charges, no surprises, just a scarf or scarves, depending on your order. Uh, and best of all, you can get 20% off any scarf in the shop with the promo code Total Soccer Show. Uh, that excludes custom scarves, as we said before. But one more time, 20% off any scarf in the shop with the promo code Total Soccer Show, all one word, all together, all uppercase, if that is what is required. A link to that offer will be in the show notes. Uh, but for now, I will just say thank you to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring this episode. And now back one more time to Mr. James McNicholas of The Athletic. The thing that I found interesting, I was reading a, a James Benj piece, who I think was on your podcast this week, talking about roughly this very topic. Miss uh, mm-hmm. was championing uh, Lille's uh, Nicola Pepe when he was when he was like kind of on the way out the door as an Arsenal summer signing. Sanyehi uh, believed to favor Boca Juniors Christian Pavon. Uh, Miss mm-hmm. is gone. The player he wanted is at Arsenal. Sanyehi is still there. Christian Pavon is playing for the LA Galaxy. Uh, so <laughs> that feels slightly significant to me, just in the sense that like even with Miss Lintat leaving Arsenal were sort of inclined to trust his judgment when it came to the players they're bringing in. Yes. And say a signing like Gabriel Martinelli, when he arrived, everyone assumed, oh, 
this is an Adu signing. You know, this is somebody who uh, is from Brazil. So Adu must have done the deal or must have been the guy who identified him. That's not the case. Martinelli had been trapped for some time. And he's a player that Sven Tat was absolutely aware of, as were other clubs in England. He had a couple of trial periods with Manchester United too, but didn't get a deal with them. So, yes, you're absolutely right. I think Sven's targets informed Arsenal's for a, for a little while after he left he left in I think it was the February but their summer plans were already in motion by then you know they already had conversations with Pepe at that point and his agent at that point when Sven left um, so yeah you're right his influence is still there but that will only last so long and uh, I think the real test is coming up because recruitment if you look at recruitment overall for Arsenal over say the last five years there are a lot of question marks there. There have been some pretty disastrous uses of their money. And I think they've lost a huge amount of revenue as well by allowing other players to leave for free or for next to nothing. So they, they desperately need to improve in, in that department. Um, since, since we're talking about things that made you happy, I'm just going to make you sad. for a moment. <laughs> it, what, is there, What's the one signing that sort of for you really made you wonder what was happening or really made you concerned about what uh, business was being conducted? Uh, I mean, I, I touched on it earlier, but I do think Arsenal choosing to sign David Luiz uh, on transfer deadline day. Uh, at the time, I will admit, I was kind of like, well, they, at least they got somebody in was kind of my reaction. But looking at it now, if you'd asked me what sort of centre half Arsenal needed in the summer, uh, David Luiz would probably have been near the bottom of that list. He's kind of, he's perfectly fits Arsenal for all the wrong reasons, if that makes any sense. He's very able on the ball, um, but not particularly switched on defensively. He likes to defend really deep, which gives Arsenal uh, a lot of issues. So yeah, it's been a pretty, a pretty poor signing. And I think it's fair to say that given uh, the players' links with uh, Kia Jarabchian and Kia Jarabchian's past history working with Edu, uh, it raises some question marks about exactly how that process of recruitment and identification of that player was undertaken, especially given they did the deal in quite a hurry right at the end of the day. So that one is a, a, a bit alarming and they're paying Louise an awful lot of money and he's currently out of the team. Uh, but... Uh, that's just one of many. I mean, I think the Mkhitaryan signing was pretty disastrous. And again, a huge salary, exorbitant salary for him. Uh, There are probably more. I think even you could look at the decision to sign uh, Alex Lacazette and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang within six months of each Mm -hmm. other for club record fees and question, you know, how wise that was. Because, you know, Aubameyang, it seemed to me, Lacazette was in dreadful form at the time and was kind of bought almost as a replacement. I mean, Lacazette was really struggling. Uh, And it was a desperation move prompted by the fact they were going to lose Alexis Sanchez to Manchester United in January and Olivier Giroud to Chelsea. Uh, And, you know, we tried to get them working as a front two or working in tandem or playing Aubameyang out wide. But it's not the most balanced way to set up a team. And it doesn't speak to a particularly coherent recruitment strategy. So I always think of, by the way, um, I, I don't want to take too much of your time. Are you, are you good on time or, or do you need oh, to yeah, hustle to the stadium? No right. worries. Excellent. Um, so I always go back to when Jurgen Klopp first took over Liverpool. Uh, yeah. Not a Liverpool fan, by the way. Um, and like I, I think about how you could see in the first game that he took over, like there was just moments of like, oh, okay, there's a little bit of pressing there. Oh, they're hunting in packs a little bit. Oh, there's a little bit of gagging pressing. Like what? Uh, Arteta not likely to take over this weekend. That would be a, a bit of a short turnaround time. But when he mm-hmm. does take over, what are sort of the things that you will be looking to see as signs of progress as signs of like things are a little bit less listless when it comes to the Arsenal squad. 
God, I mean, I honestly, I don't know where to begin because there are so many things that are <laughs> just fix the whole team real agenda. quick. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we're going to have to be patient. Not only is this a team completely bereft of confidence, but it's also a head coach who is kind of learning on the job, and it will take time. And people expected Freddie Jumberg to turn it around. He hasn't been able to do that. I don't, I don't think as highly rated as Arteta is, he'll necessarily be able to do that straight away either. I, I think you know Arsenal think of themselves as a team that play good, attractive football. But actually under Emery, that really hasn't been the case. There have been a few signs of life under Jumberg, but the speed at which Arsenal play is so lax. Uh, the speed at which they move the ball, I think there's a bit of a chronic lack of pace in the side, if I'm honest, particularly in central areas, central defence, central midfield. But moving the ball quickly some sort of sense of technical security that would be a starting block for Arsenal because that's what their game in their most successful periods has always been based upon and that to be honest has deserted them recently you know Arsenal even when they have not been able to defend they've always been fun to watch I'm not sure they've even been that fun recently maybe fun for Spurs fans or United fans (laughs) but like no great style and I think some semblance of style some semblance of confidence and imagination that would be great. It goes without saying as well, the defence has to improve. But I think Arteta's strategy, you know, as kind of peps to an extent, will be to to protect the defence by controlling the ball. Uh, and Arteta played as a defensive midfielder for Arsenal, let's not forget. But, you know, his style, while it was positionally astute and he didn't mind a tackle, it was based on sort of tiki-taka principles. It was based on retaining possession. And I think that's what he'll want his Arsenal team to do. Uh, and the central midfield is a huge problem that needs fixing. There are some talented players in there. You know, I think the fans really like Ganduzi. They think he's promising. They really like Torreira. Um, but there's never really been a balanced partnership between those two. And you throw Granit Xhaka in the mix, who it sounds like could be on his way in January anyway. Arsenal need to fix the centre of their midfield. They need to find some sort of partnership there that works. And it's a big decision that, that uh, Arteta faces about what to do about Meza Ozil as well, because he's one of, I think, four players who he played alongside uh, who is still present in this Arsenal squad. There's been massive turnover of personnel, but he is somebody he knows. And, you know, if you want to pick Ozil, you want to pick him as a number 10 behind the striker, but that does incur a cost for the guys behind. And since Ozil's come back into the team in the last couple of months, I think we've seen Arsenal's central midfielders behind that, the deeper players, really struggling because he doesn't really offer any protection. So, Balance has to be struck and the middle of the park, I think, will be probably the, the, the first and most immediate focus for Arteta. So I want to stick with Ozil for one moment there. You wrote uh, yeah. an article focused on Ozil's comments about China's treatment of the Uyghur population. Uh, it was very good. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts was this line. You like, I, Forgive me for continuously quoting you, but yeah, you just got to deal with it. Uh, it is perfectly possible to question his attitude to Erdogan and sympathize with his views on the Uyghur population. Uh, that is sincerely a battle I have been having because I really do not like Erdogan and what he's done in Turkey. Uh, My wife and I lived there for a while. Not my favorite politician. Uh, But I do also agree with Ozil on China. So really, it was just a weird moment of reading that and being like, oh, yeah, like you're allowed to have different views on things, some of which you agree with the person, some of which you don't. So I appreciate you making that point. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, an increasingly nuance is a a dying art, isn't it? I guess, especially on online discourse. Um, But I think I agree with you. I mean, my wife's family are Turkish. And personally, I find Erdogan objectionable for many, many reasons. Uh, And, you know, I find Erdogan's association with him really problematic. And I have uh, criticized him for it. However, I think, uh, you know, the issue that he's highlighting in China 
you know, from a moral perspective, I think he is in the right there. And we, we have to be able to hold those two things in balance. It's it's it doesn't mean you have to love Meza Ozil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the point he's making is a salient one and, and a good one. And it's uh, yeah, it's been an interesting week, certainly on that front. I mean, Ozil himself has uh, had a lot of repercussions in China in terms of his own profile being damaged and pulled down off social media and almost wiped from search engines and even removed i saw a couple of days ago from the pro evolution soccer game in china yeah i know is he still in fifa we need to find out (laughs) uh but we're joking about it but look the main thing for me is like i I will admit a degree of naivety about this situation Mm -hmm. i'd heard about the nba thing but it's not something uh i knew a vast amount about and since then been able to follow up and read some of the United Nations reports and things like that. And uh, loads of people are talking about it. And that's definitely a healthy and positive thing. And that was what Ozil intended. You know, in fact, he he said himself, he, he intended to kind of light a fire under under Muslim nations mm-hmm. and Muslim powers who he felt were not highlighting this issue, were not talking about it, were not showing the requisite support. I think that was his primary intention rather than to offend Chinese sensibilities. But he definitely did do that in the process but uh in the uk athletes uh are very rarely associated with anything vaguely political there's a kind of a there's a sense that you know you should do your talking on the field and not really have an opinion off it and uh i i think i i think that that's probably not right actually given how influential these figures are given the platform they have if someone wants to use it for good or to highlight an issue that you know it is a positive thing for everyone to hear about i think that has to be commended but yes i do hold that on the one hand uh in conjunction with the idea that i find uh a very uh, distasteful figure all right well that seems a perfect note uh to end on but james McNicholas, <laughs> thank you very much for taking the time your wife's family is turkish your cousin is spanish you're on an american podcast you've got the international <laughs> thing going on i like it i like it a lot yeah, well, in, in these Brexit times, I've got to try and keep these ties where I can. <laughs> I, but, I do uh, appreciate that. I do appreciate <laughs> that. But thank you again for taking the time. I know it's going to be a busy day. Still figuring out what's going to happen with uh, Arteta and Arsenal, but I'm sure you will be there to cover it. If people want to hear more from you, see more from you, read more from you, how can they do that? Uh, they can do that on Twitter. My Twitter's at Gunnerblog, and I'm writing for The Athletic. Uh, do check it out. I think we're going to have some promotions on over Christmas as well, and some really great Arsenal stuff coming up about Arteta, about the club's intentions in the transfer windows. So keep your eyes pe- peeled for that. All right, James McNicholas, thank you very much one more time for taking all the time to chat Arsenal with me today. My pleasure. Pleasure. 